stepping back and stroking two. Bogdanovich thinking about a three. There it is. Yes! See it again. No double team help, and it takes it right to the rack. What's going on, everybody? It is a brand new episode of the Feed to Embiid. We are a few hours clear of the 2024 NBA trade deadline on February 8th. Uh, I wanted to bring the best capologist. Is it a capologist or capologist? How do you put the pronunciation on that? I've always said capologist, but that's a good question. I have no idea. I think it's too late at night for this shit. (laughs) (laughs) But the best capologist I know, Brian Toporek, one of the nicest guys in the business, one of the best. Uh, financial analysts and his regular basketball analysts in the business. Brian, thank you for taking some time away from your family to join me tonight for a rousing edition of the Trade Deadline uh, podcast. Of course. Thank you for having me. Uh, very nice of you to lie a lot to, while describing me. So thank you for that, juicing me up. Um, check, but yeah, check, hope, hope the check here. This is all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, excited to be here and sort through the madness that was today. Do you know I'm sorting? I'm looking at my cap sheet right now and the scratch paper. I have like a scratch paper tab where I just do like a bunch of calculations and shit. Mm-hmm. And I have a Thibel extension and I have the math done for, <laughs> for a five year max for Matisse Thibel. <laughs> I've still got a. Uh, Can you imagine the road notification the Sixers signed Matisse Thibel to a five year, $194 million deal? <laughs> That, yeah, well, there you go. For everyone who thinks today was the worst thing that ever happened, that could have happened. <laughs> um, Brian, there's so much stuff that happened around the Sixers today. Um, I guess we'll start out with you want to start out with at the the other end of the spectrum with the smallest deals or the Buddy Hield trade. Whatever you prefer, we can go in any direction. So let's start with the Buddy Heald stuff. The Sixers trade uh, Marcus Morris, senior for Con Korkmaz, and three second-round picks um, to uh, the Pacers for Buddy Heald, the sharpshooter. Um, Brian, work me through the, the the actual like math on the cap there. Yeah, I mean it was pretty straightforward. Um, you know. But- uh, Marcus Morris was 17.1 million and then Cork was 5.4. So they ended up shedding like three-ish million dollars in this deal, which that got them close enough to ducking the tax that they did that pretty quickly thereafter with the Daniel House Jr. dump. Um, but I mean, the, you know, the main salary matching piece was Marcus Morris Sr., which, you know, it's been kind of telegraphed in the days and weeks leading up to the trade deadline that if they were going to get someone in the $20 million range, it was probably going to be Marcus Morris going out. Um, one notable thing about Heald, because it looks like as of now, Track has not updated, and I this tripped me up today, so I want to flag it for everyone here. So Heald's contract has a lot of incentives in it, which, you know, a lot of, I don't think there's anyone actually on the Sixers that has anything like this, but uh, basically if he makes uh, all-star game playoffs, the second round of the playoffs, third round of the playoffs, fourth round of the playoffs, ince- incentives for all of that. Uh, as part of this trade, it looks like a couple of his unlikely to be earned incentives are actually now turning into likely to be earned incentives, at least for the time being. So as far as I know, his cap hit's going to jump from about 19.2 million to about 19.8. So an extra 500,000 or so that we need to account for here. Um, Not so fast, Josh Harris's wallet. Not so fast. That's right. That's right. I mean, this could change if, you know, I, from what I've been told, the the ones that switched from unlikely to likely were first and second round of the playoffs, which, you know, I think anyone watching this team over the past two weeks is like, are you sure they're likely to make the second round of the playoffs here? So <laughs> we'll see. Uh, but those, that's at least on the table. So he's got, you know, his base salary is $18.6 million and he's got $3.5 million of incentives that he could hit, although many of them he will not. Yeah. Um, so they clear about like that, that amount of space. You said it was about three million below. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yep. 
so that's below the luxury tax line and they were never close to the first apron correct no yeah even i think they were like 2.7 million below it uh leading up to the deadline okay to go back and double check that but yeah the apron was never a real concern for them and as soon as they made this deal i mean they you know they could have just salary dumped furcon and got under the tax line Um, poor furcon (laughs) well honestly good for him man it's been five years since he made that trade request he finally someone finally listened to it today uh so yeah they could have done that but then you know having now they're after all of the deals they made today, they're $4.9 million under. So, you know, they've got a bunch of open roster spots as well. So it seems likely that Kyle Lowry will fill one of them, but they have now the opportunity to add a couple more pieces that they wouldn't have if it was just like salary dump Furcon into a trade exception. And that's, you know, that's our whole deadline. So just to recap, if, if if you're above the first apron, which they're not, would have been would have would have what what would have inhibited them would have been they wouldn't be able to do sign and trade deals in the offseason if the incoming salary kept them above the apron. Uh, you can't sign a player waived during the regular season if his salary exceeds the mid level exception. Um, so it would there would have been it would basically have taken them out of the buyout market for some of the guys that or at least one of the guys they've been rumored to be interested in uh you know recently so that the, the so they were never close to to that issue because th- let's say they go and they sign Kyle Lowry like mm-hmm. he probably takes a minimum i would assume um maybe he wants some multi-year deal or more money and then at least at least now you have a little bit of like extra space there to use the level exceptions or whatnot but you were never close to that issue and merely the the, the Daniel House junior trade uh merely just gets you below gets you closer to the tax line and out of the tax actually so you're avoiding the repeater head tax you're saving money fans don't want to hear that to me i don't want to hear that if it's compromising the team but if it's daniel if it's a player like daniel house jr i simply don't care if they yeah. if that helps them avoid the tax it just doesn't mean anything to me you're not yeah. compromising your team anyway so what does it really matter um it's just something for the fans to get upset about because yeah it's, it's easy to do well, um, yeah, I mean, you know, dumping a second round pick just to get out of the tax, like optics wise, doesn't look great when, you know, Boston used a second round pick to get Jaden Springer, for instance. And so I can understand that gripe with it. But I will say, even under the old CBA, once you got into repeater tax territory, teams really started to get nervous about going like 15, 20 million dollars into the tax. And the new CBA, the repeater rates are so much worse. So yeah. I don't think we're going to see a lot of teams in the repeater tax, or if they are in the repeater tax, they're not going to want to be, you know, 10, 15, $20 million over. Cause like even around 15 million, I mean, they changed the way that the brackets work. So it's not just like $5 million per level basically, but it's going to be around there. Uh, you know, over 15 million over the tax line starting in 25, 26, you're taxed almost $7 per dollar that you spend. Like that's just an astronomical amount of money. So, you know, you can complain about trying to, you know, Josh Harris trying to save money, but he's trying to save money so he can spend more money in the future. That's the thing. Like we, like we probably won't ever be privy to the conversations about like, Hey, if, Hey, if, Hey Josh, if you, if we, if, 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 if I Daryl Morey can save you this quantity of dollars in taxes, this season and then in and then in the in the near future with the repeater tax how much more likely does that make you to actually take those risks and those financial hits in the future if we have options to really go and like you know bolster this team and that answer might be like yeah if you can save me money now or like in a year from now then that might make me more open to opening up my wallet when we have a real a real big fish to get you know, yeah. In, in, yeah. in an off season or at a, in a trade, whatever. So optically, I, I understand the optics of giving up a second round pick. I also don't know what the, I, like, like that second round pick may not be worth much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, what, yeah, what's that? The, the Knicks pick and the Knicks, I mean, have been one of the best teams in the NBA over the last, yeah, since they made the OG trade. Like we're probably talking about a pick in the fifties in a draft that most people don't consider very good. Like, yeah. Um, I think the heel deal is like really it's 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 I, I put it this way like people were 
talking about like you know is was this a good trade deadline for the Sixers? And I think you could argue just for on today, he might be the best player that was moved today. I think when you get into the conversation of like Alec Burks versus Boyan Bogdanovich versus Buddy Heald, I think they're all relatively the same player. Just they might do like slightly different things, but they're all like contributing at similar levels to a team. They're, you know, they're all, you know, peripheral pieces around your core that can shoot the ball, can score the ball, but they're really not like, like they're, they're not a tier above each other is what I would, is the way I would phrase it. And so that's why I don't think it really matters. Like you could have taken your pick and it would have been fine with any of the three guys. The difference is the Knicks went and got two of them. And I think like the more I think about this and what today meant, and I, I truthfully don't know what the Sixers think about Joel and his chances of coming back this season. I, I know Nick Nurse was asked about it um, mm-hmm. before last night's game, and his answer was very much like non-committal. Uh, it was, he said, um, the only thing I can say is what everybody else has been saying. It's certainly at least four weeks before we get another read on where he's going to be. That puts us in early March. I think we play to him early to mid-April, so I think there's a good possibility. Yeah. So he basically did math in front of our eyes and then said, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I don't think, and I, I don't, I don't blame the Sixers for not knowing because I don't think anyone knows like his body has the heel and they have to see how he, how he responds to, you know, uh, activity and how he ramps up and what that looks like. So when we're thinking about whether today telegraph that they think that they aren't going to make a deal, that they aren't going to get him back or not, I don't really know what the answer is. So, when we have that in mind and you and someone asks, well, how come they didn't go out and like splash multiple guys, you know, get, go get, go get multiple players. It's because you don't want to commit first round and draft equity or assets and put your chips in for a season that you might not know if you're going to have your most vocal point available to you. And if you spend that and then it turns out Joel can't go like you just wasted assets for a, for a team that has no ceiling. So it's like it's not it's it's a very hard position to be in when this happens as close to the deadline as it did yeah absolutely and i mean for the people who are lobbying that or lobbying that concern like who was the impact player the difference maker that got moved at the deadline that they missed out on yeah no one no i mean again if buddy healed or boyan mcdonavich is one of the best players who got moved today, then those moves weren't available. Or, you know, you I guess DeJounte Murray is one example. Like, are you mad that they didn't pay two first-round picks for DeJounte Murray? Not particularly, because we, you know, I, I think in general, the reaction that I'm seeing is a lot of frustration about, like, them either not picking a direction or them just, like, rolling over the cap space and everyone thinks the cap space plan is fake and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, there's a lot of downside. There, there is no question that there is a lot of downside if, you know, the guy like Melton leaves, Tobias leaves, Nick Batum leaves or retires, and they don't get Paul George, LeBron James, whoever their top free agent target is. But there's also a lot of upside. There's a lot more upside, I would argue, in being able to roll over that cap space and see how the playoffs play out, see what happens during the draft lottery, like every year, there's always a surprise in the off season. Last year, unfortunately, the Sixers were on the bad end of the surprise and James <laughs> you know, picks up his option and then asks out. So just because like the Bulls or the Nets, I think those were the two teams, at least based on the rumors leading up to the deadline, seems like those are the two teams that really held things up on the seller end of things, like both teams should have been sellers and weren't outside of Royce O'Neal. Maybe 30 more games of mediocrity makes them wake up to, oh, okay, this is not viable. Or like, you know, maybe Brooklyn reevaluates this. We won't trade Mikhail Bridges for five first round picks stance. Like that's crazy if it's true, but if that's, that's the stance they've taken, you can't do anything about it. So I think, you know, my guess is that's what happened with Chicago and with Andre Drummond. I would guess, you know, Daryl is accumulating all these second round picks in the Beverly trade and the Jaden Springer trade, probably trying to sweeten the pot for Chicago and be like, look, 
Andre Drummond's a free agent at the end of the year. What are you guys doing? If you don't trade him, you're going to lose him for nothing in all likelihood. And Chicago's like, nah, actually, we want to compete for this play-in spot. It's really important for us to maybe get two games of home playoff revenue. So, you yeah. know, it, it takes two to tango, unfortunately. And I just don't think what, you know, the, the type of players that could have salvaged the season were not available today. Like, if anything, they were available a month ago and the Sixers didn't have the ammunition to get them. Or they didn't have the need to go out and get another big like because yeah. joel had just come off a 70 point game or what have you right right, right, right. <laughs> um yeah i mean like i i think all of the criticism of the sixers of daryl the front office is made under the assumption that joel is certain to return yeah. and it's also made under the assumption that everyone who is criticizing them knows what was available what the offers were and where the sixers fell short of landing those pieces. And like you said, like Arturus Karnaschivas, however you say say his his last name, he had some very odd quotes coming out today. Like we, like, like like we, we think we can be competitive and like, okay, maybe you can, but like, if you're fighting for 500, if that's the goal, then like you're going to get your play in turn, you're going to get your play in games and that's their prerogative. So be it, but you can't then go be like, well, we're just going to overpay with the first round pick for Andre Drummond, or we're going to go, send you know we're gonna we're, we're gonna pay more than what we know this guy to be worth and uh and 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 just 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 to go get the body in our in our building that we need so i i get why people are like well you know you need you had this need you didn't you didn't fulfill it but w- sometimes like what are you supposed to do you can't force a guy to make a trade and so you know, and you also can't make a trade that, that that's to the detriment of your team now or in the future when you have when you supposedly have big plans coming up. So, you know, I, I, I don't really have a big problem with them not getting Andre Drummond. I didn't personally think he was like the best option available anyway. I would have if I if I could have picked between Olenek and him, I would have gone Olenek. But I mean, Utah got a pretty good package for him. So, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, but let's go over to the second trade of the day, the Daniel House Jr. Pour one out. Uh, second round pick protected 31 to 55, which is to say they basically salary dumped House uh, to get further below the tax line. Um, and the pick, if it conveys, is going to be like next to nothing. It's going to be like the it's it's good. It's it's the portion of the draft that goes by in five minutes by itself because everyone's like, we don't really know any of these guys. We're just going to pick the name out of a hat and <laughs> stash them overseas for six years and then maybe trade his draft rights and like a and, and the trade to to to, to, to dodge attacks in like 2045. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, who knows what, what come what comes of, of, of that pick? But, um, I mean, look, I, I like Daniel House, I thought he was a good pace pusher. But he was very clearly overextended in his role, and he was not a good. He was not a great decision maker, as evidenced by the, the step back twos that were con- that were contested uh, in the corner all the time, uh, as evidenced by the fact that he couldn't read the room on the night that Joel had set Wheel go over seventy. <laughs> <into four three. laughs> um, but like he was an okay player, you know. But if, if that's if, if that's going to be if that's going to help you help your ownership group open their wallets down the line, then fine, do it. I don't really have any qualms about that deal. No, I I don't either. I mean, yeah, again, like optics wise, I get it. It doesn't look great. But as you said, if it like basically all of today just gets a giant incomplete. Like, I think that's the only fair evaluation of all of this stuff, because we're not going to know how any of this factors into their plans this offseason until we see what they do this offseason. And if they land a Paul George or a LeBron James, or they trade for someone, you know, whether it's a Zach Levine or who knows who becomes available between now and July. Like if what they did today contributes to them getting that third big name next to uh, Embiid and Maxi, then we're going to look back on this. We're like, why were we crying about (laughs) salary dumping Daniel house? Who cares? But you know, if they strike out in free agency and they strike out on trades, then you look back on this and you're like, Ooh, this was a potential missed opportunity and maybe they should have been more aggressive going after an OG and an OB, for instance. So, or if that's, or if that 58th pick in the draft becomes Michael Jordan. 
sure. Yeah. I mean, if you find the next Manu Ginobili, okay. But, you know, the odds of hitting at that range of the draft, I was just like scrolling back, looking through recent drafts to see who in the 50s have really popped. And honestly, like the Sixers have done a pretty good job of finding those guys, you know. Paul Reed, Isaiah Joe was 49, but they can't find first rounders in the, at the top of the lottery. But there's a lot, there's end of the second round yeah. guys. They're really good at that. <laughs> that's, that's for Daryl Cooks. That's right. But yeah, I mean, like, oh no, we passed up a chance at Jay Scrub. Oh, how, how will they recover from that? I mean, you know, these guys just the hit rate is so low down there that if you get it, great, but the odds are you're not going to get it. And now, you know, there are enough other ways to acquire talent. You've got a third two-way spot. So, no, I, I just don't think it's worth getting that bent out of shape about. They trade Patrick Beverly in the surprise trade of the day. Uh, yeah. For, and, and a, I think it was for campaign and the pick coming back to Philly. Uh, mm-hmm. He is shooting 39% on threes this season in Milwaukee. It is... Uh, threes are 56% of his shot volume. So he's a good shooter, good volume shooter, given his amount of minutes played and usage in the court. Um, he, his defense is not quite what Patrick Beverly's is. Sure. <laughs> I'm looking at the cleaning the glass things and it's just like, it's just all blue. Cause it's all like bottom. <laughs> <laughs> so interesting, interesting comparison. Okay. Yeah. Uh, um, I think that I think he probably he's probably a a decent offensive player, off you know to have off the bench, can shoot a little bit. They need volume shooting, as we've said a million times. And Patrick Beverly was not a willing shooter. Although I will say, one of my most common conversations on press row has always has this season has been, is Pat Beverly like showing things on offense that he just hadn't like always had and no yeah. one ever like used like his 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 ability to get to the basket despite not having any athletic pop was unbelievable and his kiss his 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 touch around the rim was sensational i was very surprised at how good he was for this team and he will be missed having said that if we really think that there's a that there's that much of a difference between assuming they get kyle lowry kyle lowry and patrick beverly i simply think it's insane like i think they're largely the same player at this stage of their careers. So you get a pick back for that. Maybe you use that. Maybe that helps you complete a trade down the line. Um, but I think, and Kyle Newbeck on their, on the PHLY pod had a good point. Me, I, I don't know whether Pat Bev found out that they were likely to get Lowry. And then at that point said, like, I don't want to just be cast off it to the bench. If, you, if you're not going to use me, trade me. And then they did him a solid and got him to a contender. So, who knows what what you know what, what the answer to that is, but I get it. Like Pat Bev was the the right personality for this team for the city. He was a he was a great was a, a great quote. But even as good of a player as he was for this team, if the plan is to then go add Lowry, who is a better shooter and does a lot of the same things that Patrick Beverly does, I don't I can't get upset about it. Like I really like it's we're, like we're splitting hairs at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's a good point about maybe Beverly got some got some uh, signs that he would not be playing as much as he did previously. But yeah, I mean I, I think the the Payne Beverly comparison is certainly interesting, and if that is how the Sixers feel again, I, I certainly hope someone asks them about that. I think Payne's going to be fine as you know a third string point guard and second string as long as or until Lowry arrives in Philly, whatever that may be. Uh, I think the concern it would be if Lowry either doesn't get bought out or goes to another team, but just the way reporters have been talking about this makes me think it's a pretty much done deal. So maybe I'm like less worried about this, the you know, getting rid of all of their backup point guards because I have a feeling that he's heading to town and you know, pinning your hopes on a thirty seven year old Kyle Lowry and campaign as your backup point guards to Tyrese Maxey. Sure, certainly concerning, but you know Patrick Beverly. To me, I think it's just like people fell in love with him as a person and his style of play, rather than looking at it pragmatically. Like Patrick Beverly was probably not going to play a ton in the playoffs, especially as you get deeper into the playoffs. And if he was, you know, 
opponents are going to just leave him open and dare him to show some of this offensive game that he has shown this year. And, you know, you're right to your point. Like he, he was, he seemed cautious early on, didn't really want to like step on toes and, you know, knew the offense should run through and beat him maxi. But at a certain point, he was just like, ah, screw it. I'm on the floor. Like I'm going to just take over at times. And I think he actually did that well to some extent, but still only a, you know, 32.1% shooter on low volume this year. Like, I, I think he would have gotten the Matisse treatment in the playoffs where teams just completely ignored him around the perimeter and dared, them, dared him to beat them. So, I I mean, I'm, I'm bummed about it because I really enjoyed Pat Bev, the personality on this team, and the belt to ask for I'm going to miss. Uh, and I can understand both from this and the other trade that I assume we will be talking about next, you know, the perception of strengthening an Eastern Conference contender that you could be meeting if all goes well in the second round of the playoffs or in the Eastern Conference finals like that, you know, could or should make you nervous. But as you said, who knows what they're going to do with these two second round picks, you know, if they are able to flip one or both at some point in the future for, you know, if that's the sweetener they need to get a rotation player or a star player then again, we're going to look back on this and be like, why were we getting so bent out of shape about a 35-year-old point guard who, I mean, when he signed this past summer, I don't remember a ton of excitement about it. I remember a lot of eye-rolling and like, oh my God, this is this is the solution to this whole James Harden problem? We're going to have a 35-year-old backup point guard? Like, there was a lot of skepticism about him. So, you know, turning, frankly, turning any one-year veteran minimum signing into a future asset is good asset management. It's just, you know, Pat Bev wiggled into our hearts by being, like, the most Philly athlete of all time, despite only playing here for half a season. Which, by the way, Kyle Lowry is literally from Philly. So yeah, it may may just be, like, a seamless transition. But, like, and I think even if you want to say, yeah, Pat Bev, they're going to ignore him as a shooter in the playoffs. But look, look at his off the dribble game and like his ability to like make things happen off of the catch and just catching and going. Yeah, but that's what Kyle Kyle Lowry can do that too. <laughs> like, like, right. like, so it's like it's like what are we arguing about here? And and yeah, like the point about like can pan can can campaign and um can campaign and and uh, Kyle Lowry really bolster and solidify your 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 backup guard positions at at their at their, their their respective ages and skill sets i should say okay but then you were also like you were you were banging the drum for pat beverly who is 35 and is also limited in terms of skills so i think this is a largely about a personality thing and yeah. more than it is about, about the basketball part of it so i can't get worked up about that i think it's like what's whatever you know i like pat bev as a guy but just that the pure from a pure basketball standpoint i just i think it's like you're you're talking about like two like two sides of the same coin, basically. Yeah. Um, the next trade, uh, well, no, what would be funny is this: if Kyle gets bought out and the Celtics, <laughs> oh, that 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 might be make me more mad than anything that happened today. Honestly, <laughs> I and, and I get the whole like Kyle's washed, like he couldn't he couldn't play for the Heat. The yeah. Heat also needed a guard who could play like 30 minutes a game, and Kyle right. can't do that. And if you're asking him to play 10 minutes, a 12, 10, 12 minutes a night, I think he can. Cer- I think he's certainly capable of holding his own at that. Yeah. So yeah. I don't have right any now, problems. You just have to split it between him and campaign. It doesn't even yeah. need to be only him. Like yeah. you just need 12 to, I mean, really 10 to 12 minutes in the playoffs. Maybe not even yeah. that much. You know, in Nick Nurse, it might be like five minutes per game in the playoffs. Right. Yeah. Next one, we have uh, Jaden Springer to Boston for a second round pick. The only thing I can really say to make to make sense of this, other than like Springer was coming along very well lately, his defense was was really good. Um, I, I you're clearing you're clearing out you're clearing can't talk you're clearing out. Your salary sheet, so that only Joel is is Joel, Joel is only, your only guaranteed money next offseason. And mm-hmm. to me, like this is this kind of harkens back to a, a thought that I've had for a while. Daryl really hasn't had a chance to 
really sculpt this team exactly how he would in, in his mind. Like he gets to Philly and he has to clean up the Horford mess. And then he, so he, you know, he, he and, he, and the, and the Richards in trade. So he has to give up assets to get off those two guys and get shooting in here. Then it's okay. The Ben Simmons mess. Then it's okay. The Harden stuff. And it's, we have, you know, the, all of this is like a lot of this comes back to the fact that they have, they owe so much money to, to, to bias. And that isn't a contract that he gave out. So for three or four years, you've been sitting like waiting to have this big chunk of money that you could use to sculpt the team to your vision. So to me, I read, I read the Springer trade as number one, if Joel comes back, like your mindset needs to be, we need every win now piece we can get. And if Springer can't play in the playoffs, then we should probably just get pieces that can. Of course, they'll probably go out and sign the Gallinari and <laughs> and, uh, and and Kyle Lowry, who can't play in the playoffs. So, <laughs> but um, if Joel comes back, you need to maximize this team as much as you can around him. And whether he comes back or not this season, you, you don't know how much longer you have him on that knee. And so, you need to maximize all of the assets you have, all the money you have, all the roster spots you have. In the future, you don't have room to bring to bring along Jaden Springer and gamble on whether he can become a, a serviceable offensive player. So you trade him to Boston. Obviously, if he if he figures it out in Boston and becomes great, it's going to suck for the Sixers. But I think you take those odds. You get a pick back that you can use elsewhere down the line. Um, but I think really like that move solidifies that they are going to basically be able to do whatever they want this offseason. And Everyone in the organization is like, you know, we are the best position team of all the teams that are contenders to make moves. And we can talk for for endless time about how the free agent market next summer stinks and this and that. And it may, there may be guys that come come up that end up being free agents like for player options and whatnot, but um, they're still very much able to make trades. And I think that's where a lot of this, cap space plan lies is teams are going to say like we have a lot of talent here on this roster and we don't feel like paying and paying out the wazoo and taxes and being over both of these thresholds in the new both of these you know apron thresholds in the new cba let's trade off some pieces and and get rid of some of this money or teams are going to be like hey we are like 500 or worse we are over the we are over we are in the tax you're over the apron we have no reason to eat up this money when our team sucks. Let's just trade these players. So there's going to be, an, uh, I, I would think there's going to be a lot of guys who are available in this off season who the Sixers are just going to be like, okay, we're ready over for business. Let's do this. And yeah. that's, that's why you have the cap space for those type of players. So um, I think this just signals that like Daryl is prepared to really sculpt everything about this team in accordance with what he believes is the right way to do this. That means, you know, more three-point shots. For the love of God, more threes. We, I, I don't need to see any more Kelly Oubre fading twos across the lane that <laughs> nick the bottom of the backboard and out of bounds. I don't need yeah. to see that anymore. Please, just more threes. And, you know, they're going to be one of the most interesting teams this offseason uh, because, it's, I mean, you look, they can spin it however they want. That the salary sheet says there's one guy guaranteed money <laughs> yeah. on the team. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. You know, Paul Reed could be guaranteed if they win a playoff series. Otherwise, he will not be. But, you know, let's assume Reed, let's assume they win a playoff series. They get to the second round. Paul's, Paul Reed's contract is guaranteed. Uh, they'll have Embiid on the books, they'll have Reed on the books, and then they'll have Maxi. They'll keep his $13 million cap hold, and then they'll re sign him. It'll be like the last piece of business that they do in terms of order of operations just to maximize the cap space they have uh add in you know nine incomplete roster charges and we're looking at you know probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 58 million dollars of cap space if you take out paul reed we're into like 65 million dollars of cap space so yeah like you i think no, the Springer trade was just let's maximize. Like, if we're going with this cap space plan, let's do everything in our power to maximize our spending potential. And, you know, we'll figure out the rest later. You know, you could, I think you can poke holes in, well, couldn't they have done a similar trade this summer? Probably. But 
you know, at the same time that a bunch of other guys have become available either via free agency or trades this summer. So there's no guarantee that they would have been able to offload Springer and get a pick back. Maybe they could have dumped him into someone other team's cap space or into a trade exception, but no guarantee that they would get anything in return for him. So again, just to have, you know, they sent out four second round picks at the deadline. So to get two back, if, it, if all it costs is one pick to get Jaden Springer, now they gave themselves ammunition to get the next version of Jaden Springer, whoever that may be, or it costs, you know, two second rounders for Boston to get Xavier Tillman. So maybe they have ammunition for next year's deadline. I know Maury has said, you know, my job is to not just focus on the short term, as tough as that is. I have to balance the short and the long term here, which feels like what they did today. Like they are either no not significantly worse and you could probably make a case that they are slightly better on paper if everyone comes back healthy just because of going from you know like morris Corkmas, house beverly springer the only one of those guys that should be playing in the playoffs it may be beverly but otherwise like those guys none of them realistically on a championship contender should be playing in the playoffs. I mean, Marcus Morris got phased out of the Clippers rotation last year for a reason. Buddy Heald, you know, he has his defensive concerns, but he's such a good shooter that he should and at least could be a playoff asset. So I think, you know, they got, like, if you look at the totality of their moves today, I, I think they basically, it's like they're treading water, it's neutral, but, you know, it maintained this amazing potential this offseason and you're absolutely right to point out you don't have to just spend it on free agency. Everyone keeps saying, like, oh, okay, who are, the, who are the free agents? Who are the star free agents? It's LeBron and Paul George. That's it. Those are the only two star free agents on the board, assuming, you know, that OG re-signs with the Knicks and that Siakam re-signs with the Pacers. But as you said, there are a lot of teams this offseason that are going to be bumping up against one of these two aprons and that do not want to be bumping up against one of those two aprons. So what we saw last year last offseason was John Collins, where, you know, Atlanta sent him to Utah for Ruby Gay and one second round pick. When John Collins, you know, at every trade deadline for like two years preceding that, it was, we want at least one first round, if not multiple first round picks for John Collins. Well, at a certain point, the rubber hits the road and you're facing this massive tax bill, or now you're facing these apron restrictions and you're just like, okay, we just got to get rid of these guys. You know, Luke Kennard is another example from Memphis. I know Memphis did some proactive work this trade deadline to at least escape some of their apron concerns, but they're going to be very expensive moving forward. Minnesota is another team that everyone is watching right now and is saying at some point another shoe is going to drop. You are not going to be able to pay all of Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniels, you know, Mike Conley is a free agent. You're just not going to be able to keep all those guys. Nas Reed as well. Um, Cleveland's another example. With Donald Are you ready Russell for when Daryl trades three firsts for Rudy Gobert? And it's oh. the Joel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Carl Anthony Towns, like, I think he gets moves this summer. Potentially, we'll see what happens in the playoffs. But, like, he's the one who I think it makes sense to move. And that obviously not to Philly, but maybe it's a three-team deal where, you know, some team needs a center and Minnesota doesn't want what that team has, but they send the contract and then the other team sends the pick. I don't know. All I'm saying is there are going to be, de there are going to be opportunities this offseason, or I think there will be, and I think there is good reason to believe that there will be from the teams that you mentioned who are nervous about where they are cap-wise and need to shed salary, and here the Sixers are with $65 million in space, and the benefit is that they don't have to send money back. And if they, you know, if these teams are looking for cap relief, maybe you just get a like an, a complete salary dump, a free look at someone. Maybe a team has to pay to get off. Like if it's Andrew Wiggins with the Warriors this offseason, yeah, it would not shock me if the Warriors had to give, at you know, a first round pick just to get off the Wiggins contract. Yeah, and like you can, you know, maybe Andrew Wiggins is not the guy you want to be spending cap space on, and I get that. That's totally cool. But you know, there, I think there will be other examples of things like that where you can either get really, really cheap looks at guys, if not take on contracts that other teams are looking to dump and get additional assets. So, you 
know, I, I can understand why fans are frustrated by the uncertainty here. Because, you know, it is scary to go into an offseason and be like, holy crap, Joel Embiid's the only player under contract right now. So, you know, it has a very mystery box feel to what the Sixers are going to look like in six months. I will say, like, the floor is obviously terrifyingly low if everything goes wrong. But I think the ceiling is probably higher with this path, especially because we don't know the future. You know, like, I know fans are really attached to Nick Batum this year because he's been such a great role player and such a good glue guy. Best entry passer MBA has played yeah, in a just, long time. Sorry to interrupt you, but part of, part of like, my thinking last night was, like, if they think that Joel is out for the year, wouldn't it make sense to sort of be like, hey, what can Batum get us in the market? Yeah, 100%. You know? So, his, wife, his wife said he's retiring after this year. Like, I don't know why we're just – Which I don't, I, I don't know if that's still true. I, sure. I There has been like a little bit of pushback about that, but yeah. we'll see. But, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted you. Well, no, no, I, but I, you're right. Like, that's – you know, we don't know what's going to happen with – Nick Batum, is he going to still be on the team after this year? Is DeAnthony Melton, you know, what is he looking for on his next contract? Like, I don't think he's re-signing for the $8 million that he's earning this year. I think he's probably going to want, you know, prop north of non-taxpayer mid-level. So probably in the 15 to $20 million a year range, if not more. Like, there, there are a lot of unknowns, and it makes people uneasy, understandably so. But I think, you know, if Daryl does these next five months right you know you've got the opportunity to basically start fresh next to Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey and that's a pretty appealing option when you also have you know on draft night you can have up to five first round picks that you can trade there's just you know you're not going to be able to outbid like OKC if you know Luca becomes available or something this offseason but like you'll be able to get in on 98% of the NBA with the assets and the cap space that you have. I'm just imagining like, I forget what I was imagining. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been that kind it's, of day. It's been, a, it's, it's been that kind of day. Also like we, we say like the downside is now I remember, I remember what I was imagining. Let's go. Okay. So, can we just get the Anthony Melton healthy first before he's like, can we, can I have more of the kind of more than a mid-level exception? Like, sure, like, yeah. like, like I understand. And I'm, I'm never going to be, a, I'm never going to be a nuggets person who questions injuries of players. Um, but can we just like get you back from lumbar spine soreness first before we start talking about the next contract and what it, what, mm-hmm. cause it's not like we're talking about a, a nagging ankle injury. We're talking about your spine, your spine, one of the lumbars of the spine. That's, that's a pretty big deal. <laughs> yeah. And also, it is ridiculous the juxtaposition of like, yeah, he's out for a stress response due to lumbar spine soreness <laughs> next to the big guy who is like, yep. yeah, he has a left meniscus injury. We've addressed it the brief procedure. Goodbye. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, wait a second. What happened to the detail? <laughs> we had to like pry those out of the team too. <laughs> right. Um, so now like to your point, like, it, yes, the floor is terrifyingly low. If, if it all goes kaput. I also don't think you have that plan in place if you don't have some degree of intel that like right. guys will come to Philly or XYZ player would want to come to Philly if the opportunity was there. And because it's like, I, and we can say like, yeah, right. You know, who wants to come to Philly? You're talking about getting Joel Embiid to trust you. And if you're like, Coming into the next season, we're like, yeah, our roster is Joel plus Tyrese plus Paul Reed plus minimums. You're talking about losing your job, you're talking about losing the face of the franchise, you're talking about starting all over again. So I don't think the, like, that that is not a, a a proposition that you don't think about very heavily before you execute it. So I would think that if they're as smart as the as they think they are that they have pretty good reason to believe that they are going to be major players this summer and that it isn't just a swing. And even if we are to say like, you know, Daryl is supposed to be this big deal maker and he's supposed to know, you know, what is the plan here? No one plans for the best, for the best player on the team to tear his meniscus or to have a meniscus injury. I'm sorry. Meniscus injury. That's right. Don't use the word injury. I'm sorry. Um, no one, no one can plan for that with the week before the deadline. 
and no one can plan for this uncertain four week window before we know anything more about it. Sometimes you just don't know. And sometimes you just have to put your best foot forward and assess, okay, there's no risk-free route here, but what is my best step forward? And that is, I think, what the Sixers demonstrated today. It's we're going to get a little bit better today by adding Buddy Heald and taking all of the pressure that was on Tyrese Maxey off of his shoulders and giving him some gravity to work with. And we're going to preserve our assets for this offseason in hopes that we can jump into these trades and get guys. And so, you know, say say what you want about Daryl. I think you and I are pretty are both in the boat of like he's largely done a pretty good job here. People will say like he hasn't won anything, and you know they they're the, they're the same position they've always been in without him. Okay, but like if we judge by that, right? It's one guy with one executive win championship every year, not three, not four, not five, but one. There's one. There's one title winning team every year. So, sure, he's never won one but most guys have not won one until they have won one. And it's better to have somebody with any vision of what the team should look like and how to execute that vision than it is to have somebody who's like, yeah, we're cool with being in the middle of the pack and playing for the 40 wins and being in the play-in every day. Like this pressure and this frustration that fans feel, that's because the team is in a good, that they feel the team should be in a good spot because they have pieces. So, I think it's like it's not the most it's not the most inspiring day by any stretch of the imagination. It's it, I think it hurts because of the recency bias of how bad they got in their ass kicked the last week and a half. But also, like if they get half their team back at some point in the near future, and if they can get Buddy Heald to take a plane instead of the horse and buggy that they had Alex Burks and Glenn Robinson the second, I think it was, or maybe it was three, whichever Robinson it was. If they if they can get him here in the next couple days instead of the next three weeks they can cobble some games together and figure some things out and largely hold the fort and i think the recency of how bad it's been makes today look worse yeah oh totally i mean they're gonna get drilled for the next couple weeks because their schedule like around the all-star break is just brutal it's like every top contender in the east basically so i think the rest of february even if you know, healed and pain can come make their debut soon. It's probably going to be a little rough. And you know, I like, unfortunately, this just happens every year. And we're seeing it with Memphis and Philly this year where injuries just, you know, submarine certain teams and things were going really well for a while. But yeah, no team is going to be down to eight players or, you know, with two-way guys, like assuming Heald and Payne can't play tomorrow, I think the Sixers are like legit at nine healthy guys, and that's with the two-way guys. Like, there's just nothing they can do about that. So, really, all that matters is you know staying, ideally staying in the top six. But even if they fall into the play-in, like if you've got a healthy Joel Embiid, you're very likely going to have the best player in the play-in tournament. You know your title odds are undoubtedly taking a hit right now because you slipped from competing with Milwaukee for the two seed in the East to can we even hold on to the five? But you're going from one or two series of home court advantage to very likely zero. So, you know, because of that, like, you you don't want to write the season off completely. But I think if you were just looking at it objectively, you know, where the Sixers were on January 22nd when Embiid had the 70-point game, you feel very good. They're 29 and 13. You feel very good about them being a legit contender. Two weeks later, I I personally do not. I know. I think it makes sense to add a buddy healed who, you know, if Embiid can come back, maybe you're just the, the six seed or the seven seed that no team wants to face in the playoffs. I mean, we just saw a freaking eight seed make the finals last year because, you know, maybe the Sixers go on some type of. You think the Sixers level. added to their culture today? Just to, It was today a big culture day. <laughs> Not yet, but soon. Soon they're going to get one of the hardest working, most intelligent, whatever the hell is on their stupid court. Can we get like um, a big face coffee in the media room? That's all I want. <laughs> Do you have twenty dollars for a coffee? Not at my, not at what they pay me at ninety seven. They're unfortunate. You got to hook me up over there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm just not bent out of shape, and I'm willing. You know, maybe it's because I'm like more team building oriented that. 
you know, and now I have five more months of like trying to figure out what Daryl is trying to do, which is an impossible task because he's always one step ahead of me. But I think there will be some exciting possibilities this offseason. And the other thing I'll say is I don't think Daryl agrees with me on this, and that's totally fine because clearly other teams don't as well. But I think under this new CBA, it's going to be really hard to build around three max players. So I like even if the Sixers don't land LeBron James or Paul George in free agency this year. Maybe they can get him and take like a mid-level. Yeah, that well then then I'm fine with three <laughs> players. But you know, I I'm I would rather spend, you know, split that third max contract up into two or three smaller rotation players, starters potentially. So like two guys making twenty to twenty-five million each instead of one guy making fifty million. I think that's the model we're seeing to some extent with Boston, at least this year. We'll we'll see because Drew Holiday's up for potentially a new deal as well, and we'll see what they're able to get him on, if anything. Um, but like, so you know, even if they don't get LeBron or Paul George or even like a Demar Derozan in free agency or a Mike Conley, for instance, you know, I think it's okay if you go that next tier down and maybe. You are searching for, you know, the 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 Luke Kennard tier, or, I mean, Buddy Heald is now on the roster. The the other thing I should say too is these plans aren't binary. It's not either operators and over the cap team, or you have to create sixty million dollars of cap space. You can pick and choose. You you know you can decide we want to keep DeAnthony Melton and his fifteen million dollar cap hold on the books. All right, cool. You still got $50 million of cap space potentially if Paul reads off. Or you want to keep Buddy Heald, resign him to like 15, 20 million. Fine. You still got potentially 40, 45, 50 million dollars of cap space. So, Tobias Harris back for four years, 160. Oh my god. That's where I drop <laughs> <laughs> that that is where I have the reaction that most of <laughs> the look on your the look on your face when I said that you're like, oh, <laughs> I, I love I'm Tobias just... and I wish him well. And I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be out on bringing him back here. Nowhere near that number, though. That's, I think, that's the. Hard I part. think the best troll ever would be if they if they if, if they just tweet out like a Dale just tweets out a picture of a crumble cookie place. It's just like four more years, baby. Woo! <laughs> yeah, four more years. Oh God. Yeah. Oh my God. Make him sign the contract at a crumble cookie. With like yeah. the chocolate sauce, like just squirting it all over. <laughs> <laughs> like a bigger paint. <laughs> I, I I look at it like this: like, how would we have viewed today if Joel was fully healthy and available? Would we have said they did enough? That they didn't do, en- or that they didn't do enough? I think we largely would have said like, yeah, today was a pretty good day for the Sixers. Yeah. Uh, if Joel was 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 one hundred percent healthy, they added shooting. Um, and you know they'll take the depth pieces that they have. The whole problem right now is like you're seeing the lack of creation because Joel's out because your best creator that you sent to the Clippers, you then brought back a bunch of role players. Which which, I, which by the way everything was great when everyone was healthy because they were a full team. But when you take the full karma away from the picture, guess what? They all go to shit because you, that's, that's, what, that's, the, that's the danger of, of, right. of, of, of having it built around two stars plus role players. But to your point about like the, the, three, the three max guys versus the role players, I think I actually believe that with a, a team that is coached by Nick Nurse, you're probably better off going the route of two stars plus the role players because – like you don't need to like get crazy inventive here. You just need guys that can function and <laughs> imagine that functioning. Wow, uh, that can do the dribbling and the shooting thing and the passing yeah. thing. Those would all be great things to have. Um, and like just cobble up together enough role players where you can connect the two sides of the floor. The floor guys can cut. They can defend their position and not fall asleep. They can jump off of one foot and dunk the basketball. They're willing shooters. Like you can find a bunch of very good and well-fitting role players on the market with the at twelve, fifteen million dollars a year. And yep. if you get four or five of the, you get three or four of those guys plus what you already have, and maybe you add like one B-level player, one like just all-star level or sub or just sub all-star level player. 
suddenly it's like, okay, you are maybe the deepest team in the East. Yeah. Now, Daryl has to actually put up or shut up, and he has to actually go out there and make the moves happen. But right now, I think you're you're something resembling a sleeping giant, as Zach Lowe likes to say, because of what the possibilities are. Yeah, yeah and you could always splash around in restricted free agency. Do you want to throw a deal at Sadiq Bay or at Emmanuel Quickly, Obi Toppin, Patrick Williams? Like you have again, it's really just maintaining. You know, I, I'm thinking fans are going to start hating the word optionality because it's one of Daryl's favorite words. But it's one, of those, one of those ink blot tests that can therapy. Like, what do you see here? Optionality. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but you really are just maintaining the optionality, and you, you know, it's this is what makes being a GM so tough. Is like you, when you commit one way or the other, you close doors that you don't know will be open down the line. So you know, maybe they balked at. OG because they thought, well, maybe something better is going to happen. Maybe nothing does. Maybe you look back, you're like, damn, they should have traded for OG and an OB. And that's that's a risk that you have to take. I will say, you know, the, the cap space dries up after this summer because they are going to have to max Maxi at some point, or I'm assuming. God, I mean, that's that's the one unforeseen complication. If they aren't willing to give a full max to Maxi, uh, everything bad to this franchise is or everything bad that happens to this franchise, they completely deserve. Uh, but, you know, the cap space, once Embiid's on his 35% max, Maxi will be 25 to 30%, depending on whether he makes all NBA. You know, maybe they sign a bunch of guys to one-year deals, but even if they do, like the, the extra 20-plus million you've manufactured with this Maxi trick is now gone after this year. And there are new salary floor rules, which make you spend at least you have to hit the floor, which is 90% of the cap by the first day of the regular season, or you forfeit your tax pay, like the, the money that all the tax teams disperse to the rest of the league. You forfeit that if you haven't hit the floor. So like they are going to have a full roster in place by the start of the season. They're not going into next season with like $40 million of cap space, rolling it over to next year's trade deadline and having Howard Eskin accuse them of another Ponzi scheme. Like it's, no, it, this summer is put up or shut up time. So I'm curious to see what they do. I'm excited to see what they do. I'm not excited for these 7,000 people who will be my mentions over the next five months asking me what I think that they're going to do. Because my answer every time is, I don't know. It depends who's available. I know who's on the free agent market. I don't know who's on the trade market. We just have to be patient. And it's, you know, frustrating at times to not know who's going to be on this team next year. I can, I can certainly empathize with people who feel that way, but I would just, you know, instead of just focusing on the downside of, Oh, they're going to miss on everyone and they're going to run back to the same team and accept even be worse and blah, blah, blah. Like there are ways that they could use this and get significantly better. And I think that's what you should at least focus on until those avenues close. What do you think is like the domino effect move or like the guess the butterfly effect move that led them to where to, to today? Like what is the big butterfly effect miscalculation or disaster? I want to say it is probably bridges. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not I, sure. I mean, I was going to say like the, 2019 off season, but you can, I mean, yeah, you can go, but hell, you can go back to 2015 picking Okafor instead of Porzingis like there. Or like there Devin. Are a lot of mistakes. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking like, like you've, you've been, been perpetually searching for a wing and like Mikhail has become a shot creator for himself and good shooter and like an all world defensive player. And if you don't trade Mikhail, there's probably no Tobias trade. And, you keep you have like all these different options, you know, money wise, and like I think it, I think it probably changes the course of the last like three or four years pretty dramatically. That's the I think that's the butterfly effect moment for that that changed that led to where this team is now. So what you're saying is all of this is Ben Dietrich's fault for publishing that thing on the Ringer about. Columbia. I'm good with that. Honestly, one of the <laughs> one of the best. One of the best takes that 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 people don't want to say publicly, but it, it's true. Colangelo actually didn't do a bad job. <laughs> I will not go that far. What was, what was JJ Redick? Great yeah. signing. 
sure. Uh, he I drafts. Mean, I'm pretty sure ben I could also overpay someone by fifteen million dollars and convince them to come here. Fair. But uh, yeah, he got you know he got the name on the contract, so sure. Well, well, well I mean, if you want to say that the Tatum deal is the, the was the bad one, I I'm not a big I, me personally. I am not a huge Tatum guy, so I don't. Yeah, I mean it's it's more defensible like on paper because Fultz on paper was basically what Maxi is now. Like he would have been a perfect fit next to Simmons and Embiid. I mean, you know, you couldn't have known he was gonna have this shoulder injury and forget how to shoot like that. I mean, I guess you could have because apparently, you know, the rumors were he came in for his workout, his private workout, and was not shooting well, and there was some concern in the building and. Colangelo overlooked that but I mean I think more than him doing a bad job it's just that he didn't maximize what they had at the time like they you know Hanky like built up this hoard of assets over three years and then it just slowly continued to trickle away and away and away and you know we get to a point where now Daryl is having to replenish some of these assets with Patrick Beverly with Jaden Springer and it sucks like you're just not used to you know for people who've been following this team since the process years it's like wait they can only trade three first round picks they don't, they don't have like seven that they can trade what's going on here this this isn't fun you actually so, reminded me it's kind of incredible to see Daryl in his Sam Presti era of I'm just gonna get like a thousand second round picks <laughs> see what I can turn them into <laughs> I yeah I think the new CBA, I think it increased the value of second round picks. I think we saw that at this deadline last year. It was like what five second rounders for Jay Crowder, I think, and I want to say five for Sadiq. That was an well. a, that was an absurd trade at the time. It's still yeah. an absurd trade. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you this: Do you, do you think that with the draft becoming a two night thing, that second round picks are going to take on new value? I think the new CBA itself gave them more value. With all these restrictions, you want to have guys lock on to cheap contracts. There's this new second round exception that didn't exist before. There's an extra two-way spot that didn't exist before. So I really do think, I mean, I think both first and second rounders have more value than they have in past years, which is why we aren't seeing the types of deals that we saw, you know, for Rudy Gobert or DeJounte Murray even. Like all, you know, Atlanta is now looking for, two first round picks for DeJounte Murray to recoup some of what it gave up. It's like, you're operating under a totally different framework. Now you might, you just might not be able to get that. Or like, you know, the Nets asking for multiple first round picks for Dorian Finney Smith, get real. It's just, no, that's not going to happen anymore. I mean, I think what we saw today was a lot of the teams just woke up and like, all right, these first round picks aren't coming. Fine. Sec, you know, we'll do buddy healed for th three second round picks instead of a first round pick or Xavier Tillman for two second round picks instead of a first round pick. I mean, there are some <laughs> salacious rumors flying around about what Chicago turned down for uh, Alex Caruso from Golden State. So maybe that would have been the exception. They? Maybe they could have gotten a big haul for Alex Caruso and just chose not to. But What were the yeah, rumors that you heard? I, I think it's like at least one first rounder, possibly a second or a swap. And a couple of their young guys not named Jonathan Kaminga. So I don't know if it's, you know, who knows at this time of year what's true and what's not. But I will say, I don't think anyone in the NBA had a worse day than the Chicago Bulls. And I'm basing that solely off of the press conference that Arturis Konashovic gave afterwards, where he's like, yeah, we are, you know, ownership would have greenlit a rebuild, but I want to remain competitive. Competitive for what, my friends? Uh, <laughs> it's funny, and, and poor. I, I like Nick Friedle. Poor, poor Nick Friedle for being a a victim of the ESPN uh, playoff stuff. But I remember, like, we, he hasn't tweeted much anymore. But a week ago, he tweeted like, "If the Bulls don't gut the rest of this roster, everyone should be livid." <laughs> and they just sat there the whole day yeah. long. <laughs> and I just kept yeah. thinking about him. I was like, "Oh man, Friedle's Friedle must be like pulling his hair out." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it goes back to Drummond. Like, I, I really would suspect this. I mean, Ramona Shelburne tweeted extensive conversations about Andre Drummond. Like, I I would imagine that they 
made a very fair offer for Andre Drummond and the Bulls are just so far out of reality or out of touch with reality as they're tied with the injury ravaged tanking Memphis Grizzlies in the fourth quarter of a game uh that they're they're just you know we we gotta cling to that ninth seed I mean we could win hey we're the ninth seed we win two games we're in the playoffs and then look what Jimmy Butler did last year hey who cares that Lonzo Ball and Zach Levine are out for the year why why couldn't Kobe White lead us on a miracle run like they're just you know they they are it's sad to see what they've become knowing what they were in the 90s but all they care about is fielding a 35 to 40 win team that can put butts in seats and to their credit they still can do that for now i think if you're the sixers like speaking of the play-in stuff Mm -hmm. i think your mindset should be like as long as we avoid boston if we know that we have joel at like 85 90 95 100 percent himself we should feel good about our chances against new york against milwaukee against cleveland any of those teams like you're gonna have i think the best player in the series assuming joel obviously is able to get it back to full strength and if you do that and you and and you and you avoid the is i think the seven seed is the side of the bracket that the celtics are not on is that is that correct yeah yeah. So, ooh, by the way, the Bucks are losing by 30 tonight in the fourth quarter. <laughs> Will Poor Doc. Doc play a single guy under the age of spices? Will Doc make it to 10 games with the Milwaukee Bucks? <laughs> <laughs> um, That'd be amazing if he got fired before the All-Star break. Least, like, we need another guy to fill up with the All-Star. Now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um so I mean, it, so we'll say there's still a ways to go, but right now their focus needs to be just like how do we win one game, then maybe make that two or three or four games, and then hey, like we're alive again because right now they look quite dead. Um, yeah. Brian, your work is second to none. Anything you want to plug? Uh, um, I'm sure I will have articles to plug tomorrow morning, but they are not written now. So I hope everyone prays for me tonight and I can find some mental clarity to sort through whatever happened today. But yeah, I'm sure I'll have some stuff up at uh, Forbes tomorrow, probably just a big picture of what they did today. Liberty Ballers, I'm sure I'll do some sort of cap breakdown. Um, I definitely have a... uh, (laughs) a piece that did not run before the deadline because, you know, the Embiid stuff obviously took precedence but uh there will be something in the coming months that was sure to infuriate a lot of people about a potential trade target of theirs uh so yeah i'd say check me out those two places uh the nba podcast wherever podcasts are found we'll have our we will be the only podcast to do trade deadline winners and losers tomorrow so check that out as well and obviously check out all austin's work too at 97.3 espn one of the one of our best beat writers following this godforsaken team. So I got up at six a.m. today to drive my mom to the airport, and I and she's like, "You can go back home, and go to bed." I was like, "Yeah." I laid in bed for five minutes. I was like, "Ah, fuck! I gotta go write about Kelly Kelly on these different <laughs> possibilities." I, dude, I, I, my son slept in this morning because I like wanted to go work out before work, and then he slept in and late daycare drop off, and then like as soon as I got home. I was about to go downstairs, and then I think the uh, the Buddy Healed trade broke. I'm like, all right, there goes my day. <laughs> <laughs> all over Buddy Healed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All so right, I'm Brian, I appreciate you. <laughs> Have a good night. For sure, you too, man. stepping back and stroking to Bogdanovich, thinking about a three. There it is. Yes! Get it again. No double team.